Church, hear my heart. There are times when you learn about stuff you wish you didn't know. And there are times when God calls us to action and we know we must. It's the experience that Beth and I and Pastor Stephen and Pastor Jonathan and our wives experienced when we went to Spain just, just a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> I've never seen anything like it. I pray to God that somehow this would stop. <clears throat> Spain has become a hub in so many ways for trafficking girls. Because of its geographic location, its closeness to Africa... And there are girls <clears throat> that are being trafficked through Spain, and then they're spread all throughout Europe. The stories of these young ladies and the things that we heard about how they got into the situations that they were in are dark and disturbing. <clears throat> the evening that Beth and I and our team showed up into the commercial area. You saw images. We had to blur them because they're, it's horrible. It's freezing cold outside, and these girls are huddled around these fires to keep warm. And they, that many times I couldn't even get out of the car because the ladies were naked. And on a regular basis, cars are showing up, and they would leave, and they would come back. And I can tell you I've never seen hopelessness like we saw in those young ladies' eyes. I mean, you know that they have a soul, but it almost looks like they don't. And I'm telling you the truth. And the beauty of the contrast between the eyes of those that we saw in the streets and those that were in the home, that because of your generosity, we were able to help as, as the country of Spain began the ministry of Project Rescue several years ago, was nothing but sheer miracle of God. Girls that literally months before had no hope finally had hope. The redemptive work of God in those homes is so amazing. And guys, we have to be part of this. And this city of Alicante is so important. There's no home. There's no safe place for the girls in that entire city. And there's hundreds if not thousands of girls that are being trafficked every single day that are working the streets. <clears throat> and so when we were, um, we were invited to be part of this, I knew we had to, so we've made a big pledge to help them purchase this home, and we're going to meet it. I told you last week we've set a goal of $125,000 that we're going to raise together. We started the weekend of Thanksgiving, and we'll run through the end of the year. Last week, we shared with you how some of these resources will be used for some of the local ministry, uh, different agencies around town. 100% of this resource is going right back out of the doors of our church, and there's only one way that we'll meet our goal, and I know we're going to blow it away. Last year, we raised over 100000 That was our goal. This year, it's 125, and here's how it happens one day to change the world. What does that mean? This is what I'm asking you to do. And I'm praying that every single person that calls himself a plum creaker will be compelled with a heart that says, I have been so overwhelmingly blessed 
And I realize that with that blessing comes a responsibility. And I'm not going to make this all about me and mine. I'm going to realize that I have a responsibility to help people in need. And when we're presented with something like this, we must do it. I hope you go with us someday and see what's able to happen in these homes as these girls are being rescued and taken from a place of hopelessness to having literally new life in Christ. And so what I'm asking you to do is one day to change the world. Figure out your, um, your income and what it's worth on one day. Divide it by, you do the math, one day of your income and give that in an offering above and beyond your normal giving and we're just gonna give it away and bless people all over the world and make a difference for him. Sound like a good idea? It sure does to me. Will you bow your heads for just a moment? <clears throat> Father, as your children, we have a responsibility and uh, we don't want to learn about things like this. Uh, and when we do, we, we know we have to do something. And Father, I thank you for the opportunity to partner with this ministry, to have been on the ground with them, to meet Fiona, to meet her teams, and to understand that there is integrity of leadership there. There is passion as they face the mafia in Spain. Father, I pray that you would that you would, God, do miracles, that you would protect them, and that you would empower them to be part of a movement of God to rescue these girls from darkness, and Lord, with your help, that they would have hope and new life and new life in you. Father, I thank you for this church. I know we are a generous group, and with the responsibilities that we have to make a difference around the world, Lord, this is one time of the year where we really dig in together. And I just ask that in a supernatural way, you will touch the hearts, I know you already have, of every single individual and family in this room that we would understand that we have to do something. Lord, we know that's not an equal amount, but it is an equal sacrifice. And if we do that, Father, I know we'll blow away our goal. And we pray all of this, Lord, would be for your glory. In your name we pray, amen, amen. I also want to uh, just um, greet those that are watching online they were actually unable to see the video we just shared with you because of the sensitivity of that ministry. And uh, most folks aren't allowed to shoot the video that we were, but because of our partnership with Project Rescue, um, they allowed us to do that. But with it comes an understanding and a responsibility that there are some that are looking for those girls that you just saw. And so for those of you that are online, thank you for understanding that and thank you guys for being the church you are. Let's do something big and make a difference, because changed lives, changed lives. <clears throat> okay, so we're in the second week, that's a weird transition, isn't it? <clears throat> we're in the second week of, um, of our Christmas celebration here at Plum Creek, and it's been fun to be able to share with you uh, some, some thoughts that hopefully are uh, creating in each of us a new perspective at Christmas. And we know that uh, a lot of Christmas is about um, gifts, because our Heavenly Father gave us an incredible gift, and a lot of times that plays out in, in the lives of our children with toys, and I was thinking about toys this year, and I was thinking about some of my favorites, and I'm going to age myself today, so I'm going to tell you a couple of my favorite toys. Uh, on the top of the list is this little plastic motorcycle in my Evil Knievel action figure, and you would put him on that motorcycle, and he would fasten on tight. And you would run that thing as quick as you could with a little spinner deal, and you hit it, and Evil Knievel would take off across the room, and you could build jumps for him, and it was an incredible toy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, thank you, thank you. 
Another one that I loved, and this is the old school smash-up derby. I understand that they have a new one because of the Cars movie, but there was this long plastic little strip that you would feed into the gears of the car, and you would yank that baby as fast as you could, and your car would set on the ground and go screaming across the kitchen until it ran into a cabinet or the wall, and then the doors would fly off, and the hood would come off, and you'd be like, oh, it's so cool, and you'd go over there, and you put it back together again, and you'd do it again. And then I was also thinking, I'm not, I, when I was young, I wasn't much of a game guy because I don't like to sit still. And uh, my favorite game was spinner baseball. Anybody remember spinner baseball? And you would get these little discs, and the discs would have the lifetime achievement of different uh, guys that had made like the Hall of Fame and just like great players over the years. And you'd build your lineup, and guys, kids, listen to this. You would put this thing in a little spinner area on the game, and you would go, You'd be like, I got a single, and you move the guy to first base. My brother and I would play nine innings of that baseball with regularity. And I know what the kids in the room are thinking right now. What a lame life you had, <laughs> right? Because things have changed a lot, haven't they, over the years? Let me explain to you how much they've changed. I don't know if you've been paying attention to this particular phenomenon that's taking place in the world around us today, but there's a young man named Ryan who happens to have the most popular channel on YouTube. Uh, do you know how old Ryan is? He's seven. Do you know how much Ryan's going to make this year? $22 million. He's seven. Last year he made 11. How many? I can't even get my kids to mow the yard, right? Uh, he doubled his income last year with his YouTube channel. The popularity is crazy. Some of the kids that are in the room, you know who I'm talking about. If you watched Ryan, this is crazy. Are you ready for this? You log on to Ryan's YouTube channel to watch him play with toys instead of playing with toys yourself. I don't get it. I don't get it. But the kid's a genius. This is how much of a genius he is. Pastor Doug paid $79 for Ryan's best favorite toy of the year, which just happens to be his own. And this here right now is called the, uh, it's called, let me make sure I get it right, Ryan's World Giant Gold Mystery Egg. And you wrap this up, kids are thrilled to get this gift. And inside of it is a whole bunch of mystery gifts. $79. It can be yours too. I'll sell it to you for $250. <laughs> Ryan's not the only guy that got this figured out. No. But I want to show you this other toy some of you might know. This is uh, virtual reality. Yeah. You guys remember this? This thing is awesome. I'm not sure if you were aware of this either, but actually there's a Hall of Fame of toys and the Viewmaster's on the Hall of Fame. Kids, you're right now, you're looking at me right now like, what are you talking about? I'm gonna show you how cool this is. Ready? I'm gonna get transported to Africa. There's a 3D gorilla in here, for real. Now kids, watch, this is gonna blow your mind. You do this. Elephants, just like that, it's awesome. Now why would I show you this toy? Why is this important? This toy is a great word picture for life. Uh, we all have a view, we all have a perspective of life, a filter that we look through that kind of defines the things that are happening around us. And it tends to dramatically impact the way that we see things. And, and things can get complicated pretty fast. And all of this just dictates our view of our current circumstances. And it dictates, dictates as well our view of the future. So if you're taking notes, here's my main thought for this weekend. I'd love for you to write it down. 
How I view life drives how I do life. How I view life drives how I do life. And we all have filters. We use these filters to view life, and this makes perfect sense. Instead of a viewfinder that's changing what you see, it's things like this. There's a view based on your past. And some very easily get caught and trapped in their past with an inability to move past it. And that begins to define your current reality. Uh, Some of it is a view based on your circumstances, your present set of uh, things that you're dealing with that just defines you and it defines kind of the way you see things. Sometimes it's your education. It could be your beliefs or your worldview. It could be uh, based on financial things, and that is the viewfinder, so to speak, the view master that you have, and your life is defined by things related to finances. Perhaps it's relationships. This week I was thinking, too, that there's another set of kind of view master of our life that's really about managing the way other people perceive us. And so you work really hard to try and manage all of that. That becomes the priority in your life. And we know that when these are the primary filters that we view life from, the result is that we oftentimes end up in a place where we are scrambling to try and control things. And that can become a very scary thing. As a matter of fact, your life can become overwhelmed with fears and anxieties or greed or even insecurities because uh, the way that we view life determines how we do life. These filters take over, and they have significant limitations. And you might be asking yourself today, too, right now, you're probably thinking, Doug, how does this have anything to do with Christmas? I'm really glad you asked, because that's what I want to talk about today. It has everything to do with Christmas, because at Christmas, our Heavenly Father gave us a new way to view life. He gave us a new way to view Him, and this can change uh, each and every one of us This year, because how I view life drives how I do life. Last week, we were in Luke chapter 1, and we looked at the story of Mary, uh, Jesus' mom. This week, we're going to look at a story in Luke chapter 2, looking at another group of people, specifically how their view of life and their view of God changed when they um, intersected with the God of the Christmas story. And that's what I want to share with you today. Uh, What happened to them when they saw God with fresh eyes can happen to them too, and that's really what I've been challenging you with this holiday season, if there was a way for us to just kind of hit pause and allow our hearts to slow down enough to pay attention to this story and to see it with fresh eyes, would there be something that we could see new that would provide for us an opportunity to really celebrate Christmas in a different kind of way? And we've agreed to do that. That's part of the beauty of Christmas. And what's cool about this this group of people that we're going to talk about is that as far as we can tell, they weren't very religious. And up to this point, they had absolutely no connection to the Christmas story. They aren't religious at all. They weren't in a temple. As a matter of fact, they're not even aware of what's happening. They're at work, and they're doing what they always did, and that was take care of the sheep. These are shepherds, and they're out in the field. And and here's another very important thing that you need to know. Theologians will tell us that at the time when the first angel showed up to Elizabeth, there had been a 400-year silence of God. No prophetic word, no voice of God spoken as it had in the past. And then breaking onto the scene is this angelic declaration of the initiation of this redemptive plan of our God. It's amazing. And I told you last week, if we had the chance to sit down and plan the Christmas story, we would never plan it the way God did. And this is one of the examples of that. You see, there would be no way that you and I would choose, knowing everything that was going on in their culture, to tell this group, this motley crew of shepherds, 
the message that Jesus had come, but that's exactly what happens. In Luke chapter two, if you look in verse eight, then that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. What you need to know is that the shepherds were one tick up from the bottom of the socioeconomic scale of this society. The only group of people lower than them were the ones that had been diagnosed with the debilitating and ultimately life-ending disease of leprosy. And they were shunned. People would turn and run from them. And one tick up from those that had leprosy were the shepherds. And they were kind of a stinky crew, which you could understand. Out in the fields, days, weeks, months, caring for their sheep, probably smelled as much like a sheep as a sheep would. They're a rough group of guys. And because of their work, they were considered ceremonially unclean. That meant that they couldn't go to church. And they were also, their reputation was, was one of mistrust. So much so that if you were a shepherd, you could never be called into court to give testimony. Because the words that came out of your mouth were not considered, as far as the reputation would go, to be considered reliable. Think about what I just said for a second. So God shows up to those guys. We would not choose the message to be delivered to them. Gary and I were talking about this this week, and he reminded me of this verse. And before I read it, I just want to share with you that there's probably some in this room that feel like they would be unlikely candidates for a relationship with the Lord. I hope this speaks to you today. You need to know that that's not true. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, and this is so beautifully describing the heart of our God. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those that think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Think of all the different groups of people that God could have said, you know what, let's communicate to those people because they're well-respected, they have credibility, people will listen to their voice, it will help my message of my redemptive plan to spread quickly. But rather, I just imagine our Heavenly Father in heaven going, okay, it's really important, guys, circle up. We gotta have a game plan for the way this is gonna go forward. And what I need to happen from day one is for this message to be communicated that this redemptive plan is for everybody, not just those that think they deserve it, not just those that are religious. As a matter of fact, I would like this message to first be delivered to someone that is going to be considered very low on the socioeconomic totem pole so that I can communicate this message from day one. And you can almost hear when the angels make a shepherds, perfect. Let's take this thing to the shepherds. Because he wants you and I to know that it's for everyone. Look at verse 9. Suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, which always happens when you see an angel. But as we learned last week, angels are always going to reassure you with these words, don't be afraid. Which made me think, if you ever see an angel and they don't say that, don't be afraid, that's the time where we're very afraid, right? 
Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now again, my fear is that we've heard the story so many times that you might have just slipped into neutral, so I want to do my best to paint the picture for you. Motley crew of shepherds, a little stinky, had a long day, probably been out there for quite a while, sitting around a campfire. Guys, you sat at that campfire with a bunch of other dudes before. It's probably some Bud Lights, maybe some cigars. It's like truth serum. And what's said at the campfire stays at the campfire, right? <laughs> you can only imagine what their conversation was like. You see, we probably paint a picture in our mind of something very different than that. And we probably think they're all singing kumbaya around the fire, right? That's not these guys, right? This is a bunch of ruffians, man. They're talking about the sheep that got away. They're talking about the rookie shepherd that's like dropping the ball all the time. They're probably giving him the business. They're probably talking about how they want to get home. They're probably talking about how the other one stinks worse than the other one. They're doing everything they can to stay warm. It's just dudes at a fire. I promise you they're not talking about baby Jesus. That's not the way that would go down. And all of a sudden, everything changes. Everything changes. And the creator of the universe chooses to show up at that night with that group of guys. It's beautiful. Glory to God in the highest heaven, they say. Now listen to this. And peace on earth. Remember who they're speaking to? To those with whom God is pleased. You think you're not worthy? I guarantee you the shepherds thought they weren't worthy. They knew they weren't. But this message that's communicated to them is that God has a plan, and his plan is a plan of peace and favor to them. That is a beautiful picture. And in this very instance, these shepherds went from viewing life as they knew it to a completely new way of looking at life. They're looking up. God stepped into the scene and gave them a new view of life in him. And I wonder how many of us would say this year, I've spent more time looking up than I do with my circumstances around me. Because how we view life is going to drive how we do life. I'm not saying that somehow we deny reality, but I am saying that your circumstances don't define you. And when we know the story of Christmas and we understand the love of our God, we're going to let him define us and we're going to let him define our circumstances. And when you view life through this filter, something powerful happens. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth Peace to whom his favor rests. That is beautiful. 
I imagine this brought a sense of awe to the, to the shepherds that night. Fresh eyes, because they'd never heard the story like you and I. And it was real because it was personal. And things were getting ready to change in their lives because how I view life drives how I do life. So I was trying to think of a way to help kind of bring an image to your mind of what it must have been like if we could have been on the outskirts looking at the shepherds, looking up at all the things that were going on. And so I think I found a little something that might help. How many of you remember, I know this is, bear with me, how many of you remember Andre the Giant? Remember that name? Like they didn't call him a giant for any other reason than he was a giant. He's over seven feet tall and weighed over 300 pounds. And uh, again, if you flash back to my childhood, he was a professional wrestler, and you would not want to wrestle him. But another reason why he was well-known is for a role that he played in a movie that has become very famous called A Prince's Bride. Yeah, it's awesome. And so he became kind of a legend, right, very quickly. And uh, several years ago, he's since passed away, but several years ago when he was walking through an airport, there was a little guy about this tall that saw him and was so mesmerized by the giant of a man that he went running up to him and stood in front of him. And you know what's so cool? I don't know how this happened pre-cell phone days. Someone got a picture of it. And when you look at this picture here in just a second, I want you to look at the little boy's face. And I want you to imagine this is what the shepherds look like. Check it out. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? And I also like the look on Andre's face as he's looking down. He's like, yeah, I know, kid, right? Can't you imagine the shepherds standing in the field that night just like this? Because what just happened to them was so life-changing, so significant, a moment of awe. Now, I'm not saying seeing Andre the Giant in airport is even close to what the shepherds saw, but when we stay committed to seeing things from God's perspective, it changes us, and we must respond by kind of living in a state of awe of our incredible God. And this is what I'm encouraging you to do this Christmas season. Instead of looking around the circumstances, the relationships, the challenges that you're faced with, let's look up and see the glory of God. And for some of you, this has been a year where your posture has been one where you've been looking up differently. Maybe this is a year where you've experienced answer to prayer unlike any year before. Maybe this is a year where someone that you love or maybe even yourself has made a decision to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe this is a year that just looks different. You, you were baptized this year, or maybe you rededicated your heart to the Lord, or this was the year where you just decided that you were going to consistently spend time with him, reading and praying and connecting with him. Just a year of you looking up. But maybe for others, your year has looked different. Your circumstances are tough. Maybe even Overwhelming. It's been a harder year to look up. Maybe you feel guilty or unworthy or somehow convinced that God is mad or disappointed or frustrated with you. There's been so much that's just made it difficult. You're struggling. My prayer this week has been that you would look at this Christmas story once again with very fresh eyes and that you would be remembered, that you would remember this. God went to great lengths to show you he's for you. Can I say that again? That this would be a Christmas where you're reminded 
how much he loves you and that he is for you. Boy, guys, if we could all capture that once again, it would be different. According to those angels, when they were declaring this praise to God, they said, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. That God is looking at you with peace and pleasure. His smile is a smile of grace. He created you. He loves you. He's for you. You are his son or his daughter. And if we could capture these things, this is why this has the opportunity to be the best Christmas ever. If you and I would begin to believe that God is looking upon us with his peace and his favor. I want to wrap this up by kind of just detailing some of the rest of the story after this happened with these shepherds. Again, many details easily missed. So you could imagine again, picture that little boy looking up at Andre and the angels are standing there with that face. Like, And whoever it was that was the leader of the, the shepherds, the one that was the most outspoken that would speak without a filter, after the angels disappear, scriptures tell us that they just said the only thing anybody could say Let's go to Bethlehem. We got to go see this thing for ourselves. Why? Why would they do that? Because the way we view life drives how we do life, doesn't it? And all of a sudden, everything changed. What I love is that scriptures also tell us that they just didn't nonchalantly stroll to Bethlehem. Scriptures say they hurried. Why? Because how we view life drives how we do life. And scriptures tell us that, that, they, that they got to see exactly what the angels had said. Now, I want you to remember this motley crew of disrespected and untrusted people see this baby and have this experience in this field. Everything is changing. And scriptures tell us that after they saw him, they told everyone. A detail as well that you might miss is that Verse 18 says, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. What happened? How did they go from mistrusted to believed? You know what it is? The look in the eye, the tone of your voice. When you've seen this and it changes you, it changes the way you view life and that will change the way you do life. So with this enthusiasm, this excitement, with an authenticity that could not be denied. They told everyone that they could what they had experienced, and people were astonished. Because the way we view life drives how we do life. And then another missed piece of the story all too often that maybe you don't even remember is that we're given a glimpse of what the second fire chat looked like. I can only imagine what that first conversation must have been like that night before the angels showed up. Oh, in the contrast to how it looks so different after they had personally experienced this beautiful love of our God, 
This is what it says in verse 15 and 16. The shepherds went back to the fields, to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. Whoo, that's a different fire chat, guys. Turned into church. That is awesome. Because how I view life drives how I do life, and I hope this year that you will have fresh eyes this Christmas, knowing that God is looking upon each of us with peace and with favor. So what does that mean, and how does that look? You know, every year, I've, over the last several years, I've tried to leverage the iconic star in our town to be a reminder to you. I hope you still see it. I hope it still catches your eye, because it's just a cool thing about living in this valley. And over the years, I've tried to just give you a double dog challenge to, to think differently when you see the star. When it catches your attention this year, this is what I want you to think. Peace and favor. That's what I want you to think. Peace and favor. And there's something really interesting about this story that, again, I think has been missed, missed by me too. And that's this. That on that evening when those angels came and appeared to those shepherds, they started a song, a song of worship. You know what's so cool? That song has never stopped. It's never stopped. There's still praise to our incredible God for sending his son. We know that's true because what happened when the shepherds got back to the fire? They praised God. And if you know the end of the story and you've read Revelation, I challenge you to read Revelation chapter 19. And we get to peel back the curtain of heaven just for a second and look in. You know what they're doing? They're singing that song. So not only is it one that has continued to today, 2,000 and whatever years later, it's going to continue forever, forever. In my heart this year is this. Please listen to me that you would be part of the choir because his peace and his favor is a real thing and he loves you and when this has captured your heart it'll change the way you view life and that will drive how you do life oh that Christmas would have fresh eyes for us today. That we'd see it different and we would be changed. So the team is gonna come and Jared's gonna sing. And I want you to just stay seated today. And I want you to ask yourself the question, have I joined the choir this year? In this moment, regardless of my circumstances, am I in the choir? I want you to be. And while they're singing this song and you're thinking about these words, think about his peace and his favor that is for you. It's the gift of Christmas. Let's reflect as the team sings this song.